welcome back. It's time for Customers Too Quick. Quick favour to ask, if you haven't already done so, please leave the podcast a review. It's super helpful for getting the podcast in front of more people. Today, we've got another fantastic guest for you with quite a unique proposition. Sean Brandt is the co-founder at Audit, who provide UX teardowns focused on brand-first CRO. Their focus is on making sure websites look good, uh, but also perform well. There's, there's no point having a website that doesn't convert the traffic you drive to it. Let's get Sean on now to hear how they do it. Hi, Sean. Thanks for joining me. Would you mind just introducing yourself? Give us a bit of your background and kind of how you've got to where you are today. Yeah, absolutely. So my name is Sean Brandt. I'm one of the co-founders of Audit, which is a brand-first CRO company. We produce kind of UX teardown reports for direct-to-consumer e-commerce brands. I kind of got into it a bit of a backwards way. I, in 2010, started an agency, product design agency, grew that to, oh, 75 designers and, and, and developers and just kind of got exhausted of the agency life and, and chasing retainers and chasing clients. And it really just became more about, you know, upselling clients, different services and, and doing more client management than it was about doing good design work. And so I, I exited that company in 2018 and started doing some private consulting and ended up taking on a, an investment with a performance marketing agency named Coolin, which is kind of our, our audit sister company now. But what I what we really started to see at Coolin that I was kind of unaware of, to be honest, in my previous agency, because we didn't do much marketing, was just how much money brands were spending on, on paid ads, whether it's Facebook, TikTok, whatever, and how little a lot of those brands that were spending that much were spending on their site and their user experience. So we started doing audit reports, ODDIT reports for a lot of those customers to just help them make the ads more successful that we were we were doing for them. And it, it started to increase conversion for a lot of them. So we kind of used that test with our cooling clients and, and said, you know, I think we could productize this. I think a lot of brands could benefit from this. And so we launched it as, as a product, which was ended up being audit. I think what's unique about it and, and why we branded it brand first CRO instead of just CRO is it's very, very different from traditional CRO in that we're not scraping through all the data and doing customer surveys and running A-B tests. There's tremendous merit in that and and we recommend all of our customers do it, but we really are kind of a step before that. So we decided to make up a a, a term for it that would kind of set it apart. Yeah, cool. Makes sense. Yeah. So is it just, do you guys just do the audit? And then, yeah, is that it? <laughs> yeah. So it, it comes up often where, you know, our customers get that report and it's kind of like a before and after of the UX on their site or sort of the full like UI. And they kind of want to know, okay, this is awesome. Can, can you implement this? And it was kind of intentional on our part to not do implementation and, and that ongoing services. We really, more of a personal choice, but really didn't want to become another agency just in wrapped in different clothing. So we we intentionally have partnerships with really trusted vendors for executing the design work. Then we have trusted partners for running A-B tests and split testing on the CRO side. And we have you know partners in all, on all aspects of that, whether it's content, whatever. So a lot of it is just just that report. We do have some customers that are you know coming back and purchasing additional reports for landing pages or other things that they're doing. But audit as a as a company is really becoming I would say a third party, like a, an, a fresh perspective for all aspects of your brand. So right now it is actually focused on brand for CRO or more of UX teardowns, but 
we're actually talking about over the next kind of three months launching three new verticals. So we're going to be auditing ad accounts, Google and Facebook, and we're also going to be auditing email. So over the next kind of six months, we'll be launching a lot more products that kind of pull us back away a little bit from just being a brand first CRO company. Yeah. Cool. Makes sense. Cool. So where do you see where do you see the biggest opportunity for growth for, for e-commerce brands at the moment? I think the biggest opportunity is in in brands just finding a more authenticity when it comes to their marketing and and more authenticity when it comes to their brand positioning. I think accessibility to produce goods and accessibility to, you know, get good packaging and pretty photography and access to you know, everyone, the, the playing field is kind of getting leveled on that front. It's really easy to get all those things done efficiently and, and, and at a high fidelity, like a, a high talent level. And so it's becoming tougher to stand out. And I think the biggest trigger for growth right now is, is authenticity. And what I mean by that is just having an actual brand story that you're communicating properly and having, you know, rather than just looking like a, an Amazon reseller that's got a, a logo in a different box. I would say that's probably the biggest trigger that that is brands are kind of leaving on the table right now, especially when it comes to getting influencers or other people to produce content or produce ads. It that authenticity really starts to show through when you're when you're producing more and more ads. And I think it's it's critical to brands increasing their conversion just because everything, there's so much competition in no matter what product you're launching. Yeah. So have you got any any tips on how brands can kind of get that that story out there a bit more, but without obviously without kind of overwhelming the actual products themselves? You know, at the end of yeah. the day, people still want to they want to know that the product is right for them. But you're right, it's yeah. those those brands that have that story, that personality generally do a lot better. Yeah, I, I think it's a it's a really fine line to walk of communicating the just you know what the product is, what the value props are, and 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 then also like finding authenticity in it. Probably the best way to, that that brands can leverage that is is really educating the marketers that they're using a little bit better. So whether it's your agency or you're sending products to to influencers to post or or your content creators, I think really honing in that I don't want to say brand guideline, but that communication document about the things that are important to you. Instead of just saying, okay, well, what's the best way to sell chips or whatever you're selling? Really honing in on those things. And then also, I think a lot of a lot of brands miss the mark on using their customers more effectively. So they'll, when it comes to time to spend on content creation, they're going to spend it on a creative agency to make ads or a content creator influencer to produce content. And they always tend to just forget that there's a, a, a lineup of customers that have already supported them. They've paid for the product. They've enjoyed the product. They've gave them a review. And so we always encourage people to reach out to those customers, You know, build out that flow of how you're accessing reviews or content because the people that are actually using it versus someone who you sent it to and paid them to use it, that ad or review or whatever you want to call it is going to be so much more authentic, right? And some of them will be negative. I mean, that's just how it is, right? You're, no one's perfect. But I think when you can utilize your actual customer base and say, hey, you know, we'd love to send you, you know, you bought five in the last year. We'd love to send you one free if you don't mind sending us a video review and, and not even setting an expectation there, just seeing what comes of it. I think the authenticity there does two things. You can, one, use those as ads in a lot of cases or content. 
And two, it helps you learn a lot about what customers are liking or disliking about the product in a more authentic manner, right? Sometimes it's easy to type a bad review or a good review, but hearing and seeing someone is a is a lot more effective for the brand and for you know the customer viewing it when they were looking at it as an ad. Yeah, and I think when when someone's talking <clears throat> through something, their thought process is you know their brain's kind of ticking away as they're talking. Whereas if yeah. they're writing a review, sometimes you just kind of you make that one comment and it's either product was really great or, you know, there might've been an issue and they'll just talk about that, but they just kind of dump that idea down on the, on the page and that's it. Whereas, yeah, with yeah. that video, you get that opportunity <clears throat> for them to say, Oh, actually I, I liked, I particularly like this aspect of it. Yeah. And I think there's, because there's such a massive influencer network across, like there's, it's just like an entirely overwhelming industry now of influencer marketing it it's just so easy to to make it feel like bullshit like it, it most of the ones where they're posting it's like i before they even open their mouth i can tell it was sent to them for free and they're getting paid and that instantly is just like okay well this is it's all a lie like whether they liked it they didn't whether it made their skin clear it didn't whether it made them healthy or not it's totally irrelevant they're being paid to do it and it's useless to me and i think there's very few that do it where that doesn't feel like the case. And so for me, it's just becoming a, a less and less important form of marketing. Yeah. Yeah. It's an interesting one. I, I think I'm the same, you know, if I'm scrolling through Instagram, I can almost immediately tell, I don't even have to see the product or anything. You can just tell by the way they kick off the videos normally yeah. that they're about to unbox something and, and, and tell you about a product that, they might not have even used themselves. Yeah. I was actually, I was on a sales call earlier and looking at this guy's website. And one of my bits of feedback was that I said, the images looked fake. And he said, yeah, they're rendered. And actually lower down the page, he's got customer pictures. He's, he's got alongside yeah. reviews. He's, he's got those pictures. So I was saying, well, wh- why not try and use some of these, right? Get the, get the best, the better quality ones. Mm-hmm. And they don't have to be, we're not talking about kind of studio quality imagery. We're talking, when I say better quality images there, you know, the ones where you can clearly see the product, you know, it's, it's, it's a decent picture. It's a, a competent picture. Yeah. And, and that would work really well because you'll see that actual people have taken these pictures and, and they're in houses. Whereas the images he has are kind of, you know, the ideal setup and it doesn't, yeah, there was just something a little bit off about it. Yeah. I think it, it- like when brands go about trying to find like, what is that sweet spot of, of, you know, a really great brand experience online. I think that's exactly it is there's definitely a, a place on your digital experience where renderings make sense or the studio shots make sense. Right. In a lot of cases nowadays, you can't even tell the difference because the renderings are so good, but yeah. finding that balance of those images, right. Where they can be dynamic. They can be, animated they can have the background removed and applied to different backgrounds as it changes i think there's there's a ton of value in that for a ton of brands in certain scenarios on the site but there needs to be that balance of of reality as well right like you said if you even if you don't have amazing you know in situ real life photos of the products they're still going to be valuable and you need to find that balance because it just makes it feel i mean it humanizes the brand a little bit right like, it, like you said it makes it feel like people are actually using it but it, it also just 
I don't know, it, it makes it feel like it's not your first day selling things. When I go to a site and it's just endless renderings, it just tells me they invested a lot in branding and maybe not as much in their product. Well, yeah, interestingly, I, the feedback I gave was that I, I feel like if a, if a brand has only got rendered pictures, it, it means they haven't got real pictures and they haven't got real pictures because they've not sold the products. Yeah. Or, or exactly. potentially they don't have the products. Yeah, which is terrifying. Maybe, <laughs> yeah. Maybe, maybe I'm being a bit more skeptical about it because I'm very well aware of like drop shipping and, you know, and, and how easy it is to do these sort of things. But, you know, potentially customers are thinking this as well and thinking, you know, looking at it going, that's not a real picture. You know, it, it looks no, like I, a marketing picture. I think because of what space you're in, your brain goes there instantly. And, <clears throat> but, customers whether they think that or not it's, it gives them the same feeling of unease you know what i mean they're not going to correlate it to be like oh they're drop shipping from amazon but it gives them that same you know i we you and enough. i could load up th- yeah we, we could load up three different brands right now and both of us give an instinctual feeling on their authenticity within seconds right and most people can do that maybe they won't be able to articulate it as well as we could because it's something we're doing every day and it's our job but there's a gut feeling you can provide instantly. And a lot of that comes down to the imagery and the way things are presented, right? Simple, just going back to like real people versus stock photos, like yeah, stock photos, you know, have just because they're so bad. I, you know, the traditional stock photos don't use much anymore, but we still see it. Yeah. Uh, it's just maybe, maybe think of a website. I cannot remember what it's called. It's a car leasing website and mm-hmm. it's, it's kind of, it's used in it as an example of a website that is like terribly designed because it's just big, like loud images all over the place. Like it's yeah. a bit of an overwhelming website, but it does millions in revenue because it actually comes across as genuine, right? There is, there's a brand there. And mm-hmm. so it's, it's, I guess the, the point I'm trying to make is you don't have to have an incredibly well-designed website. You know, it doesn't have to be an award-winning aesthetic it just mm-hmm. needs to come across as genuine and, and something that people can look at and go there's a brand here you know someone a person has built this website as opposed to it's a template or something and yeah and, and it's more I, about the actual design yeah i mean in, in in my experience over the last decade the only benefit to award-winning design when it comes to websites is that it wins awards so if you really if you really give a shit about having some plaques on the wall then great but other than that it's doing almost nothing for for sales for conversion for i mean there's a certain obviously there's the argument of certain aesthetic and and how consistent it is that you know elevates a brand i think brand consistency is extremely important which in you know in what we do it's much more about are things consistent not are they pixel perfect or are they beautiful award-winning design. That's that's not the point. Most of our customers can't afford award-winning design. I don't mean that in, as a, as a, in a bad way. It's just those brands that focus on award-winning type design, they're really expensive and they're really ineffective when it comes to UX and and, and conversion at, at the end of the day. So our focus is really on just regardless what template you're using, regardless what how nice or, or ugly your site is, is it consistent, right? Because that's what people latch on to when we talk about that subconscious, like gut feeling, it's it's how consistent and detailed and, and focused the brand is and the communications are. 
Yeah, yeah, you're right. You, you do get that feeling, don't you? Yeah, when you just look at a website. I, I always kind of call out fashion websites for this, really. Fashion just seems to be an in, a, a, a category which gets templated. Mm-hmm. And you, you can open up a, a, probably a hundred different websites that have very similar logos, very very similar like color color palettes, yeah, and and they're probably all just copying each other because you know they yeah, they're and- seeing other brands doing it and saying, well, that's what you know, this is kind of premium, this is luxury. Yeah, I was ac- it's actually interesting. I hadn't ever like obviously when you're going through templates on Shopify, you, there's ones that are targeted to certain industries, and they even make you select an industry to surface them, right? So that's part of it is brand like that holding their hand down a path of copying right where you click fashion and it surfaces eight templates and they're like okay well i guess we're using one of these eight templates um but it, it it's interesting it actually came up on a call yesterday we're doing a not a course but like a we're doing an audit teardown for a bunch of development firms that are launching new templates for shopify so shopify's we're working with shopify to give them like a review phase in that process before they get final approval. And part of that is just helping them, you know, think differently about it in this, you know, in certain cases, but part of it is just helping them gut check some of the CRO stuff that most of these firms just aren't familiar with, which is another conversation in itself of why they're yeah. building templates in Shopify. But I think the, what was interesting is the, the team at Shopify asked, well, like, how are you identifying the right recommendations for certain industries, right? Like fashion or whatever. And my response is the same as it is to all of our customers, which is I, I don't care if you're selling hamburgers, jeans, tractors, like that does not matter to me. It's either a consistent experience and it communicates really well. And there's a, you know, a really smooth customer journey or there isn't. There's certain things like how many SKUs you have and how well they bundle together and things like that, that matter to me. But what the product is means nothing. I, I could care less what you're selling. And there's very few scenarios, maybe 5% of our reports, where we're commenting on the specific industry and why it needs to be a certain way, right? Like shade selection in, in, in skincare and beauty. That you know, Things like that have a certain element to them that are, are way different than a lot of other products. But for the most part, it just comes down to communicating really clearly and simply and getting users to the to the endpoint as at not as fast as possible, but as, as efficiently with all the info they need to purchase. That's really all that needs to be happening. And I think they were not taken aback, but they were kind of surprised that there was no focus on, you know, basically how their templates are set up, which is by restaurants, you know, whatever industry that they've identified as key industries. Yeah, I, I, I get the same, you know, vast majority of the time on a sales call, or if someone's interested in speaking to me, I get the question, do you have experience in this industry? Mm-hmm. And the response that I don't exactly say to them is basically, I don't care what industry it is. It doesn't matter. Yeah. What matters is, are your customers able to find what they're looking for? Are they convinced that it's the right product for them? And are they convinced that you're the right business to buy it from? And obviously, is yeah. it all easy to do? And that applies to any business. Your example about the the different shades for beauty or whatever, that can kind of still be the same thought process is still applied to a lot of businesses. Yeah. It just obviously not shade, but you know, it could be flavor or, you know, if it's clothing, it's could be to do with colors or styles or mm-hmm. whatever. You you could still go down a kind of product finder 
wizard really. mm-hmm. and, and that same idea applies to all of them you've just got to then tweak the exact approach to it depending on the industry the brand yeah and i think a lot of what we're trying to do with brands is not necessarily and, and again one of the reasons we called it something other than traditional CR is we're really trying to help them think a little bit differently about anything they're doing going on, like ongoing after they use audit. Right. And if we focus just on really specific elements of a specific industry and how it, like, I want them to think differently about how they write copy in the future and how that headlines positioned and, and it should be able to apply to whatever products they're launching or landing page. And if we focus on like, super hyper-specific industry type things, it's just not going to be that helpful to, for their team. And it's not going to be that, you know, if it, if it's that specific, it's really not going to be the education platform that we wanted our reports to be. And which is why it's a one-time service. We want them to get that info and think a little bit differently so they can do it themselves next time, not come back and have another feedback loop with us and continue on a retainer. Yeah. Yeah. The, the idea isn't, here's the exact change you need to make. It's more, yeah. this is the, this is a thought process you should have towards how you do your product imagery or, or the, the descriptive copy. Yeah. And that, that's probably one of the main things that comes up when we're in our sales calls is like, do you rewrite all our copy? And my, my answer is like, I mean, in a lot of cases, yeah, we rewrite your headlines, but they're not positioned as like change this to your headline and increase your, in your conversional increase. That's not what we're saying. What we're saying is when you're writing headlines, because you're going to change this every week when a product launches, think of it this way. Instead of saying fun in the sun, tell them what the fucking product is. Like, is that, you know what I mean? Like tell them what the sunscreen is and what it does and why it's great. And what's, what are your value props instead of some marketing tag that does nothing for them. So it's, it's more about that. And, and I feel like that can be applied to any brand or product, right? I've I've done some customer interviews where the, the person just just during the interview they've opened up the website and and they've just they've read the headlines to me and they've just said like I, this doesn't make any sense doesn't mean anything and it's because yeah. it's a it is a marketing I don't want really to use that term because I feel like what I do is marketing but you know it's a, <laughs> uh, and I don't want to be rude to brand people but all right it, it comes across as a brand headline. Mm-hmm. which doesn't do the job of trying to convert someone or, or push someone down that journey of uh, finding the right product, convincing them it's the right product. It's just this kind of fun tagline that that someone has written without much thought as to whether it's going uh, to, as to what it means to the customer, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I think as you get further down the journey and a digital experience, there's, there's places for that type of copy. There's no question. I mean, or driving them to the digital experience, right? Like catching their attention for a click. I get it. You know, using that type of copy to grab someone's attention and get that click. I, I mean, I've been in that space. I, I get it. Totally get it. But I think once you're there, you have their attention for such a short amount of time and you're not getting them. The goal of once they're on site is not to get one click. It's to get probably six or seven and get them to pull out their credit card. It's a much different task that you're trying to solve for right not click a piece not click a jpeg so it needs to be communicative communicative it needs to be clear and you know like i said as you get further down that funnel there's definitely going to be places for marketing fluff and and, and that branding you know the, the taglines of the brand but 
I don't think it's, you know, in that initial phase. It's got to be dripped in there. Yeah. But I had a, it was an episode, a few episodes ago, where we were kind of talking about storytelling and how you get that. I was actually talking about sustainability specifically and how you can get that message of sustainability across without kind of shoving it down people's throats. Because mm-hmm. at the end of the day, they, they still want to buy the products. They still need to know that the product is right for them. And he was talking about, yeah, how you kind of just drip this message in there. Right? You, you kind of hinted it in various places, where, which people are going to see immediately when they have got that, when you've, you know, you've got that three seconds to catch someone's attention. Mm-hmm. But then the real message is done later once you've fully captured that attention and they want to know more about it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Have you got any, any like top tips on how brands can go? Yeah. Making this, these kind of digital, these brand experiences, these digital brand experiences. I mean, I would say probably the most common thing that we comment on, whether it's in your homepage, product page, cart, what like every part of the site is brands tend to struggle to, I guess, finalize a statement. And what I mean by that is there's a bunch of people in a room talking about how they should position or describe something, whether it's that intro headline or what makes them unique or the description of the product. And they end up with a paragraph of copy. And I think if you look at it, if they actually looked at a heat map or what's happening on their site, they'd realize that every paragraph is just getting scanned right over and sorry, scanned makes it sound like they're reading it scrolled right over Yeah, because they just, people just have no attention spent. Like they're on their phones 12 hours a day and, and they're every single thing they're doing gets one second of attention at a time. You have their, their attention on your site when they click that ad for such a short period of time. It's just, it's so critical to master the art of communicating simply and clearly. So whether it's, taking a paragraph of text and converting it to two or three key traits in bullet form, or just every time you read a piece of copy on your site, like just think is it one, is it even needed? Is it just complete like fluff because there's white space there and I'm, I'm just trying to fill it. And, and, and two, is it communicating our actual like key traits, our value props, even things like brands are pull, pull in reviews from customers. Right. And a lot of brands, they just pull in whatever, you know, whatever the most recent reviews is, which I, I love the, I love the authenticity of it, right? Where it's just like, whatever, whatever the last review was, doesn't matter what they said, yeah. it's coming in. But the issue with it is a lot of brands, sorry, a lot of reviews focus on things that aren't really the key traits of your product, right? So it'll be, let's say that you do that and your homepage shows three reviews and it's the three most recent. And one says, you know, shipped quickly, you know, loved the delivery guy. And the second one says, you know, unboxing was great. And the third one says, great customer service, all positives, but they tell me nothing about the product. And I think you need to find a balance. And that's why we're always talking about in our audits, like being a little more curative. It's great to have that authenticity and honesty of saying, we don't care what happens. We're just going to show you most three recent reviews, but you also have an obligation to show what people are saying about the key traits and the value props that you're telling them exist, right? You're telling them it does this for them. Show me a customer, a real customer saying it did that for them. That's a much more powerful statement than how fast it arrived. So a lot of it is just simple communication stuff. That's, that's the, the brand hack for me. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm, 
I'm not a fan of kind of moderating reviews because I do think you should have everything out there. It, it works to have bad reviews, but I suppose yeah. if you're going to, what you should be doing is, is yeah, you should be moderating out some good reviews, like five-star reviews that just don't say anything to make sure yeah, that no, that's- you do get the ones that do say, like have a valuable message on them. You know, if you're going yeah, to pick and, and choose. Yeah. And I think it's, it also comes down to like different stages in the journey, right? Like if I'm on the product page, it's an API, right? Just pull in the reviews API, show me everything. Let me filter by one star, five star. That's, you shouldn't touch that ever. That's the most authentic piece of your site should be that. But when I'm trying to still sell them on what's great about us, you, you shouldn't be surfacing it arrived quickly as a review on your homepage. It's just, it's just pointless reading for the user, you know, it's expected that if they click express shipping, they get it fast. Like it has nothing to do with you. It's, it's UPS or whoever, like it has <laughs> yeah. nothing to do with the brand. So for me, it's not moderating. It's more just filtering out, you know, noise. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. I mean, uh, I suppose it's, it, it can be difficult to work out which ones to pick because Very. arguably, you know, it shipped quickly or I, I received it quickly. Some people could see that as a really good, really good bit, bit of feedback about the business because mm-hmm. even though, like you say, it's it's UP, down to UPS or, or the delivery partner, if if a product is delayed, the blame is always with the brand still. Mm-hmm. Right, customers go to the brand. So if you can see those reviews saying products ship quickly, you know, got it the next day. I, I do think that's a positive. But you're right; it yeah, doesn't no, I- tell you about how the, the product was good. No, but you're, you, you raise a good point. And I think that it's, it's not, that was just the example I was giving, but I think when you're curating those, it should be completely based on customer surveys and customer feedback, right? If, if you're doing customer surveys, which you should be, and every time you ask that question, what was the best part of your purchase experience or what's the best part of the product? If 80% of them are saying it arrives so quickly, then a thousand percent. That means it's important to whoever's, whatever you're doing with your traffic and your customers, it's extremely important for them to get it quick, right? And also certain products, speed to act, speed to get it is is important, right? Like maybe it's something that's constantly being used for vacations. And a lot of people do that shit last minute. So it's probably important that it came quickly. So there, there's certain things that play into it. It's not just yeah. like guess and check, right? You should be definitely using info you had your hands yeah. to decide what's important. Yeah, I, I, I guess it, it just comes down to that category and product, doesn't it? Yeah. If it's yeah. a, I can't think of a product off the top of my head, but if it's a product where they're, they're all the same, you know, loads of brands sell pretty much the same thing mm-hmm. and it just has to do a very basic job, then yeah, you might, the most important thing to you might be this company shipped out the next day. I got it. I got it when yeah. I needed it. I, I know, for example, COVID tests, right? I had to do one the day before I flew to the States. So I needed to make sure that, I was buying from a company that would be able to book yeah. me in um, and and do the test. And my feedback, would, you know, my review would probably be, it was super quick. It was easy, like, it was yeah. easy to book it. It was easy to go in and just have the test done. Literally took a minute. I'm not, yeah. not going to rate the test itself because it's, it's just <laughs> it a COVID, COVID. test. <laughs> yeah. But you, you will definitely have other products out there where people do really care about the, the product itself. I'm working with a CBD brand and the benefits of CBD 
are what people talk about in reviews. So that's definitely where you want to mm-hmm. be highlighting some of those benefits. Particularly, I've always found it. No, totally. I, I I find spaces like that so so difficult to market and 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 work with because there's a thousand brands of CBD, but it's like you're you're selling CBD as a as a product regardless of brand, and they're all communicating pretty much the same education of what the benefits are. Right? It's it's a really tough one to stand out in. I guess would be the yeah you you stand out by by literally being different. And, and having a better product that's yeah well also it's something i mentioned the other day actually it's yeah it was around usps right you might have the exact same product that does exact same thing but the customer only knows what you tell them mm-hmm. right so if, if you're the one talking about all these amazing benefits and making the product sound incredible and your competitors not then that's how you stand out because you've got, even though they're exactly the same thing, you've got the incredible product, your competitor doesn't. Yeah, I always just, I, the simplest way for when we're talking about to a, to a D2C brand about like, how do we just clearly stand out, right? Without spending a bunch on marketing and like, how do we just, you know, what's the fastest way to do that? And my answer is almost always a comparison chart. And what's really hard about comparison charts is you have to actually have things better than the other the other guy, right? You actually have, like, if you're yeah. just going to compare yourself to the competitor, you have to have traits about your product that are better. And I've, I've never been able to do that with, a, with, with that type of space, right? Because usually it's, you know, I'm not going to checkmark pretty packaging, right? Better packaging or, yeah. but you start, you, you start having to leverage and lean on things like, you know, fat free shipping versus $10 shipping, you know, and there's always, a, there's always a solution there. So I, I just find those, whether you use them or not on your site, I find comparison charts just such a, a great exercise for brands because it helps them identify where they should be focusing their marketing and where they actually do stand out and don't. Yeah. Yeah, it does. Uh, yeah. CPD is difficult in these sort of products because, because so many products are the same or are very mm-hmm. similar, yeah, especially the, the higher level ones, but there's still a job to do to convince people that your, your product is expensive because it works. Right. Yeah. And then the better CBD products are more expensive. So when someone's saying, well, you know, it, a lot of people don't have an understanding of, of CBD and how it works. So if they're looking at one bottle, which is 15 pounds on one website, and they're looking at yours, which is 80, you've, you've got to be able to explain why your bottle is 80 quid. Eighty dollars, yeah. and compared to the other one, and that's where you need to highlight things like, you know, in majority of the time, it's the the CBD quality, yeah, or quantity. Um, mm-hmm. It's just almost non-existent. And I had someone on a, an interview say, you know, the, the cheap ones are basically a what's the word I'm looking for? You know, when you're doing a medical test and someone gets the pill which doesn't actually do anything. Placebo. Placebo. That's the one. Yeah, they, th- those. It was their words. Right, these these low, lower quality CBD products are basically mm-hmm. a placebo, and that's the sort yeah. of messaging that that we need to start looking at. Yeah, and and as a way of justifying the cost. Yeah, totally. Cool. Do you have anything else you want to add about kind of like brand first CRO? No, I think I think I would just reiterate the you know my statement about audit and then more traditional CRO. I think the 
how fast we entered the market and, and we've done a really good job of marketing ourselves. And so we get a lot of calls for people being like, Hey, like looking for a new CRO firm. And, you know, I think a lot of CRO brands out there look, might look at us as competition, but I mean, we literally send customers to CRO firms every day and, and don't ask for anything in return. I think our, our goal is really to set our customers up for success. So we, we, we really look at ourselves as just a, a phase before they get into that to help them align their experience and align their brand elements before they go and start testing a bunch of, because a lot of brands are just using templates off Shopify and they're just, maybe they found some success. They hit their first seven figure year or whatever it is. And they're ready to, you know, invest a little more on in, in making it a unique experience and just a smoother experience. So it, it really is treated as that phase before and, and it's not ongoing CRO. It's not AB testing, those types of things. So if you are a CRO firm and you're listening, please reach out. We'd love to add you to our referral Rolodex. Yeah, cool. It makes it, yeah. So I suppose it's, it's those laying the foundations. Yeah. Right? If you, if you haven't got that in place, then CRO, you know, traditional CRO becomes more difficult because you haven't got that, that brand aspect to rely on. Yeah. And it, I, I don't mean this as a knock to traditional CRO, but most of the people in that space aren't experienced designers. They're, 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 data people, right? Which is great. That's what they should be. But it also means that the tests being run and the designs being implemented for that, those things are strictly based on data. And sometimes that can really mess with that trust aesthetic, right? Which may help short-term in a, in a split test that was run for two weeks, but long-term building a brand, it makes things inconsistent sometimes and that can hurt them. Yeah. Yeah. I think you've got to be careful. I mean, I, I know that I I definitely fall into that category of I don't really care how it looks as long as it does the job. <laughs> yeah. That's that's my goal. But also, I, I kind of take that approach because I know I am horrendous with design. Literally, I, I don't think there are many people who are less competent at design than me. So I always get someone involved, right? And yeah. I I will frequently wireframe something or, or sketch something out and then say, "This is the concept. You go and actually design it to make it look like it should be on this website." Yeah, and I. It's so it's I, I've learned so much since we started audit just about what what works, what doesn't, how how different it can be for different brands. And you know, there's just certain brands that need to really dial in every detail and test every single change. And then there's certain brands that just get away with whatever the hell they want, you know, that just have they have a cult following or they've just got a little bit longer track record. Or, you know, I had a call with Danny Duncan's team this week. I don't know if you know who that is, but it's a you know, just a Gen Gen Z YouTuber with a clothing, you know, clothing line. And the, the, the site looks like it's from a 2002 template, but it's just the conversions high because it's just traffic from his YouTube channel. And these people are followers yeah. and they don't care. They're not, they're not there to like explore. They're there to buy like now they want, like they don't give a shit what the experience is. And we see the same thing with a lot of, a lot of those brands where they're, where they have that media cult following, right? Barstool Sports is one of them that we've we've worked with, and it's just they can do no wrong. You know what I mean? They you yeah. can just put up a big red screen, and the user will be hunting for like, where the hell do I push add to cart? They'll just figure it out. It doesn't matter what you do. So yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a fair point. Awesome. Is there anyone in the kind of D 2 C marketing space, or anyone from a particular brands that you'd want to sit down for lunch with? If I could be totally honest, the I personally, and in, in audit, we follow like a ton of, of different brands and people and, and the leaders of those brands, whether it's marketing or DTC. 
And I feel like I'm a pretty, I'm a pretty quiet person. I don't like <laughs> being around a lot of people, but, and so for, for the most part, no, but I think the one person that caught, the one person that caught me off guard, um, uh, who we had a call of with last week, uh, who I've called for a long time is Taylor holiday from uh, common thread. It's a, a larger marketing firm here in North America. And, you know, I've, I've, I've known of the company and the brand for a long time, but I have, <clears throat> I haven't been as impressed on a phone call as I was with him in, in quite a long time, just an extremely, extremely bright, extremely smart, very passionate about what he does and just very well-spoken. I meet a lot, I meet a lot of very smart founders and, and, and sharp people in their fields. And, you know, that they're, they're all amazing people, but for, you know, the ones that can really deliver their craft and their value and everything in, in without thinking it's just like second it's just so fast and second nature that i I was very impressed by that so i I think it'd probably be him yeah cool and yeah just finally have you got any any marketing tools that you recommend from from for audit when we're marketing audit i think a huge unlock for us has been integrating clavio and leveraging email marketing better so i mean that's been a huge game changer for us i really love what no commerce is doing it's kind of like a post-purchase survey so as soon as you've added to cart hit checkout and you get hit with like a survey right there of like what was the most compelling part of what made you make your purchase or you know what other products of ours interest you most and then you can use that to trigger what types of emails you're sending from afterwards or just use it for your own internal data um so we've that one's really cool and been really helpful for us i mean me personally i i i love watching how often and when people open emails that we send for sales. So superhuman has been like a huge hack for us where you can have read, like you can see when people are reading and how often um, okay. it also can drive you crazy. Cause you'll see people opening a sales email like 900 times and never buying. So it's also can be a negative, but I do love the aspect of knowing if something potentially went to spam or maybe they, whatever it is, I've, I've found it super beneficial. And then probably the last one that we use a hundred times a day that I just find to be just an amazing product that is kind of under scrutiny sometimes is Calendly. I just find it such a simple, amazing solution to a problem that is just so annoying <laughs> going back and forth to finding times for emails or for meetings to it. That, that one's probably the one that we use the most. Yeah, it still it baffles me a little bit when people don't have some sort of booking link available. Yeah. They, but you know, some of those people also just send you like 20 options for a call and an email. So it's they, they, they yeah. still try and make it easy. But when someone says, have you got any time next week? It's it's either send them the link or you know, you're yeah. right, <laughs> a lot of back and forth. <laughs> Yeah, just on the on the the sales email thing uh, you mentioned. I remember, I, so I use HubSpot or used to use HubSpot actually for sales, and reached out to someone who who owns a a brand that I really like. It's a it's a whiskey store here in the UK, and I could see this guy opening the email so much, like l- like really loads, and and so I was like, okay, so he must have maybe forwarded it on. And I'm, yeah. I'm getting the open notifications, but there's still a lot of notifications. And yeah, it just never got back to me. So it's really like really frustrating because obviously you're thinking, oh, there's, you know, this has got to result in a reply. Like the yeah. number of times that they're, they're opening just just an email. But yeah, no. So I try and ignore that now. 
Yeah, no, it's, it can be a very dangerous. There's, there's very certain emails where I'm like, I want to know if they opened it, but for the most part, I ignore it because it just can turn into a rabbit hole. That's annoying. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Awesome. This has been yeah, really interesting stuff. What, what's the best way of getting in touch if, if anyone wants to find out more or, or book an audit? Yeah. The best place to get more info is either our website, audit.co, so O-D-D-I-T.co, or we, we push a ton of our content and, and our teardowns on Twitter. The handle is it's audit, I-T-S-O-D-D-I-T. And yeah, head to our site. You can uh, book a free quick win. So we'll actually go into your site and send you back a mock-up of a section of your site redesigned and kind of the rationale of why. And then we also have a private Slack community where you have access to our team and a bunch of other paid media, CRO, UX professionals, and and other founders that are members, which we have a f- the first month is free. So I would highly recommend joining that and kind of just learning more through that. Awesome. Sounds great. All right. Thanks. This is great stuff. Cheers, Sean. Thanks, Will. The playing field's been leveled over the last few years. It's so easy to source products, packaging, uh, get a website built, plug some emails into Klaviyo. But what's not so easy is creating a powerful, consistent brand experience. The brand story is so important as it guides what you do with everything else I just mentioned, uh, and it creates a consistent experience for the consumer. You need them to become engaged with your brand, a lot of the time simply in order to get that first purchase, but also if you want any chance of a long-term customer relationship. You don't have to sell sexy products. I now have a preferred website for electrics, and I'm talking light switches and and sockets, not computers, uh, because the brand experience was really consistent and it was really good. Have a look at your website, your marketing communications, including transactional emails. That's very important. Does it match up with your advertising and the messaging that you're pushing out there? That's the messaging you most likely feel strongest about as, you know, it's probably where you're actually testing and tweaking the most. If you'd like to hear more from Sean, reach out to him on LinkedIn. Any other podcast questions, feedback or guest requests, send them over to will at customerswhoclick.com or uh, DM me on LinkedIn. Next up, I've got Rachel Spedding joining me from Photobox to talk about how they maintain brand consistency across different markets. But until then, keep those customers clicking.